Man, we got a special, special, special thing happening today. Where do I even begin? Where do I even start? Um, I have had the uh, pleasure, honor of uh, being, oh, thank you, Misty, I forgot. Um, the content, I'm not sure how to say this, so work with me. The content today will be deep, heavy hitting. And um, we're going to be talking about, with our special guest, we're going to be talking about Israel, Hamas, the terrorist actions. And so if you have children here, Misty will, if you're, you've got to make sure they're comfortable hearing things that are uncomfortable to hear. And if that's not the case, Misty will sign up your kids. You've got kids' church going on right now. It's not too late. She'll sign your kids up if you want to. If you want to uh, use this opportunity to do that, I just want to make sure everybody's aware of, of what we're going to be doing today so no one's taken aback. But the truth does that to us, Amen. you know. Um, today, I yeah, don't even know where to start. We have today with us some very, very special friends of mine, uh, Pastor Mark Royer and Yoram Black, Lieutenant Colonel Black, um, and... Uh, these guys mean a lot to me. They're going to introduce themselves here, so I won't go too much further, but take a few seconds here and put your hands together for my pastor, Pastor Mark Royer. We're on a ver I'm on a very limited time clock, and she's blonde-headed and about five foot four. Um, uh, I don't know, whenever I stand before you, I don't even know where to start. There's memories, the, the heart reflection. I feel like the Apostle Paul starting an epistle anytime I stand in front of you, especially with Herb and Sandy Hyatt here, uh, Heath and Misty, the generations here. So many of you that have been part of my ministry and life for so many years, going back to my Winnemac Nazarene Church days, um, it is always humbling and chokes me up to be here, let alone um, the ways that many of you have spoken into my life. It's like God brings thoughts and things that Pastor Herb would have thought, or Pastor Heath. I mean, Pastor Heath and I have, and I have been partners in this Holy Land ministry, and it's, as I told he and Misty many times, when I'm there, it's just like they're there with me. Um, it was actually the first call I made once I was there before I called even her, the blonde, was, uh, uh, was to Heath and Misty that afternoon. Um, in thankfulness for that sacrificial offering, that when you heard that God had called me to go for two weeks, um, many of you sacrificed and gave into that uh, great offering. And um, Yoram was a recipient of some of that. Uh, now, you know, the Jewish people are discreet about that. You got to give it to them in an envelope, and it's got to be in exchange. So Yoram, Yoram took me uh, to Starat. Uh, which uh, complimented us with a nice barrage from Gaza of uh, seven or eight uh, gifts in the sky that were met uh, six times uh, by the Iron Dome that God provided, and two of them uh, landing in on a synagogue and on a house. Um, and 
unfortunately, thankfully, Yorm was there with me because he actually pushed me the rest of the way. He told me I only had 15 seconds. Now, I'm from the Midwest. I'm like you. If there's a tornado warning, I want to be able to see the funnel cloud myself, you know. Um, I had to come to speed quickly, you know, then. Um, and then also when he took me down to the south uh, and had that experience in Bury, and he'll be talking about some of that, uh, and, and we need to know that information. It is strong, but the world not only ignores it, uh, the world's press uh, doesn't even report it. And how, why would we do something like this in Winnemac, Indiana? It's because you folks love Israel and you've given us this opportunity. And how do we change the course of history one person at a time? How do we change the narrative one person at a time? Um, and so that offering, I want, I want to let you know it was invested all throughout Israel in a lot of different ways. Um, I was the guest at the Dan Panorama, along with 568 people who lost everything they had on October 7th, 8th, and 9th. Now, being the only American in a hotel of 568 refugees really makes you more of a suspicion than anything else. Um, of course, many of you have thought of that of me for many years as well. Uh, I just, by, <laughs> by presence, I'm a little suspicious, right? Uh, so, uh, you, you know, there was that always, me in the hotel with these folks. And I was trying to f figure out a way to bless them on your behalf. And I think you played Udi Maratz's video, so you heard how you blessed him. And I wanted to let you know this, that your money, every time we bless somebody, I prayed that God would multiply it back to each of you hundreds of times over. But we had the opportunity to bless those people, and here's how we did it. All of the waiters, the bellboys, serve those people, those refugees, with a smile on their faces. But the way they make their money is through tips. And those poor folks, they didn't have any money. But I had your money with me, you see. And so I was able to bless all the servants of those refugees. Now, the refugees were being provided for by the government, and a lot of different do-gooders came with a bunch of different things. Like, they blessed them one day with rolling toys, which they blessed me with rolling, bolting themselves through the hallways. Uh, the kids did. One day was puppy day, so they brought the puppies into the hotel, and my neighbor had a nice new puppy that missed it when they were gone and howled the whole time they were gone. Fortunately, they were all back at night. We slept well, you know, so uh, there were different times like that, but I wanted to let you know how you blessed at least 568 people in that way, and I want you to know that it was invested, and I'm so thankful. Now I have the opportunity, since I got the rap sign um, from the front seat. Uh, I have the opportunity because he has 25 minutes. Hey, Heartland at Home, I want to say to all of my fellow uh, congregants of Heartland at Home, hey, um, 
as well as Sandy Hyatt would like to say, hey, I think you're part of the Heartland at Home at times as well, Sandy. We're proud congregants of Heartland at Home. We're thankful for our Pastor Mark uh, with Heartland at Home. But we know that we need to be conscious, especially for Heartland at Home, because it's growing. Now, you'll get your time in a minute. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you hear that? Marcel said he did a much better signal to wrap it up than I did. Yeah. Yeah, he's testing his microphone out. I want to introduce, and this is embarrasses him because he's, he's this sort of humble. But... Yorn Black, which I thought was very appropriate that I introduced you, we were able to introduce you, Yorn Black, to Gary White over here. But Yorn Black um, would be, and this is what you'll pick up, Herb, because uh, I uh, channeled Herb Hyatt when I, it's a bad word to use, but I channeled Herb Hyatt when I was thinking of Yorn yesterday and introduced him. If anyone I ever met had the heart of David, and how I would picture King David in every way. It'd be Yoram Black. Military, but a heart for people, world-class problem solver, uh, former, but always uh, officer in the IDF, um, worked for the government, the Department of Tourism, an executive with IGT Tours, as well as probably a highly favored very favorite tour guide in all of Israel. And uh, a truth speaker, a truth teller like no one I've ever met. Yoram is Jewish, let's be clear on that. He's Jewish. A lot of people say, I can't wait for Yoram to become a Christian. Well, I mean, every time we're in the Jordan River, we try to get him baptized and he goes running off. So one of these days, the closest we ever got him baptized one time, was it was raining in Jerusalem and the bus hit a mud puddle. And we almost got him Lutheran baptized by sprinkling, you know. So, um, but just so we're clear there, he's a truth teller, he's got the heart of David, and we give him our open hearts for 25 minutes before I wrap it up. And then, <laughs> yesterday it was two hours because we have a question and answer time. Here's what we'd like to do because we do have the time between here and the 20 minutes to start. So when we're all wrapped up and say our final amen at 10.30 exactly, Yorm's gonna go for 24 minutes now. We've just adjusted it one minute. And then after I wrap it up, after I wrap it up, uh, if you're interested in a question and answer time, uh, we'll be doing it right over here in this area. Uh, we'll give a few minutes after the service. Yorm and I will be hanging out right over here, okay? Because it'll bring up some questions, I'm sure, that you want to have. But we want to be conscious that it, this is a church service, and we deeply appreciate being able to be here with you. Would you welcome world-class problem solver, tour guide, executive with IGT, IDF Lieutenant Colonel, Yorn Black. Welcome in. There you go, right here. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. That, that's what we call a standing ovation. And they don't even know you yet. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah. So first of all, I'd like to uh, thank Pastor Mark and Marcel for organizing my whole uh, Indiana part 
of my special visit to Israel. And of course, to thank uh, uh, Misty and uh, the host, Pastor uh, Heath Hyatt, for having me here. Pastor Heath Hyatt has, uh, uh, has been to Israel lots of times. Uh, uh, a true friend of the state of Israel. I think next time you'll come to Israel, they already ask you to pay tax in Israel. <laughs> but he will still be coming. Yeah. And so thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk in front of uh, uh, the people. So sometimes, you know, uh, always groups tell me, you need to come to the, to the states. And we never have time. What should happen so I could come to the states? And apparently, there's a war. And that's what brings me here. Uh, which the idea is basically to give you the story from our part of view. Because as you know, uh, today, especially in the media, not all the information that we see would be the correct. Some of the information, it's only part of it. And some of the information, you get the uh, opposite impression of what you actually need to understand. So the idea is to tell about my personal uh, experience of what happened in Israel. Uh, my personal uh, experience comes from my uh, military position as a battalion commander in the Israeli IDF. Uh, my two sons, uh, my oldest son Tom, my second son Shahar is actually now uh, fighting in Gaza. When your two uh, sons are fighting in Gaza, you don't hear anything. They don't go with the cell phone. You hope that your phone will not ring. And each time they come out, after usually 12 days, they give them something like 24 hours, sometimes 48. There was once when my son was for hoping he'll be home for 48 hours. After 24 hours, he was called back. And you also hear from them what's actually going on. Of course, you are a worried father. But uh, one of the things that I hear from my kids is uh, that basically what they tell me, I always ask, what can I do? So they always tell me, you just continue to support us and make sure that we can finish the job that we came to do. Uh, because today, the Israeli uh, military effort is mainly consisted from the people who came from the reserves. And the reserves is people who have families, babies, work. For instance, my oldest son, when the war started, he was actually in Italy. And he, he took the first plane. There was no doubt that it's coming. He took the first plane in the middle of his uh, studying in, in Italy. And he came to Israel, of course, to join his team and to fight. And, and we're going to talk soon about how justifies this war or what's the purpose of what's going on in Israel. Uh, but the motivation that you can see with the people, and I'm not talking only about the soldiers who are doing their mandatory service as the three years or more. It's the reserve people who kind of left everything in order to fight for the future of the state uh, of Israel. So another position uh, uh, that I did from the beginning of the war, I, called, I got a call from the BBC because, as you know, no tourists now in Israel. It's, we were very busy. It's kind of going from 100 miles to zero in, in one day. Uh, zero tourists now in Israel. So they called me from the BBC. And they were looking for someone who will escort the TV uh, team of the BBC. They are broadcasting all over the world. And my job would be beside to translate it because they don't speak Hebrew and they need to, I need to take them to all kinds of locations. You know, like when you see Fox News broadcasting from all kinds of places. And also to coordinate all, to coordinate all the interviews. And this is where you have a bit of influence about the narrative because uh, uh, 
the people that they are hearing, it's the people that they are reporting. So you want to make sure that uh, uh, they are hearing the correct uh, picture from the correct uh, people. So I did it for uh, a bit more than two months, till uh, almost till I came here. So I basically was inside this uh, um, military operation and the media uh, quite deep for uh, a long time. So whatever I am going to tell you, it's kind of from first uh, uh, sources. So uh, let's see the next slide. We can see the map. So just to understand what's the Gaza Strip, and uh, I won't give the whole speech, but uh, the Gaza Strip, which you can see there and, uh, on the red, it was, there was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of issues with, with Gaza, and they always said that the problem of Gaza Strip is that the Israelis controlling the Gaza Strip. And there was a lot of international pressure for Israel to leave the Gaza Strip. And eventually, this is what we did in 2005. Israel decided for the sake of peace, because everybody promised that the minute the military, the Israeli army, will go out of Gaza, it will become the Singapore of the Middle East, because they have a potential. They have the beach. They have the, the lots of people who wanted to pile them with lots of money in order to uh, uh, make a, a good state out of it. So Israel went out in 2005, uh, gave the Palestinians the Gaza Strip, and apparently it's not the Singapore or the Paris of the Middle East that we got. Hamas was elected a year after by the Palestinians living in Gaza. And the first thing the Hamas did is uh, the people who, who we transferred Gaza would be the Palestinian Authority, which you know uh, more as a PLO, which are the more modest uh, people. But what they did the minute they went into power, they threw from the ninth floor all the ministers of the PLO, and they started controlling Gaza. And when they started controlling Gaza, they had a different preference. They had a different agenda than the Palestinian Authority. And if you go to the next uh, to the next slide, so who is the Hamas? Who is the Hamas who took over? And who is the Hamas that we are now fighting against? So uh, before we talk about the Hamas, so you can see on the left, there are two Palestinians organizations that you might know. The top one would be on the left, top left would be the PLO. Uh, which was at the time leaded by Yasser Arafat and later on Abu Mazen. Uh, PLO has, of course, the letter P in it. That's the Palestine, stands for Palestine. The uh, other logo would be the uh, Palestinian uh, up front, led by a guy named George Habash. But if you look on the logo of Hamas, so the initial of Hamas is Hamas, the Islamic resistance movement, meaning it doesn't even have the word Palestine on it. Why is it important? Because their agenda, it's not about land. It's not about Palestine. It's not about Israel. Their agenda is, uh, maybe you heard about it several times, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Or in their, uh, in their words, they want the whole Middle East in the beginning to become an Islamic state, which would be run by Islamic law. And that's the reason, by the way, that a lot of Arab uh, countries resist Hamas. It's the same that a lot of countries resist ISIS. Because uh, for instance, if you will hear the, uh, the king of Jordan, Abdallah, when he condemns Israel about what's happening in Gaza, 
it's basically what he needs to say. But what he hopes is that Israel will eliminate Hamas because the, if it'll not, the next time, the next day they will come to Jordan and his kingdom will be in risk. Because again, these people would like a different kind of uh, government, a different kind of, of regime, which is totally based about the Shia, about, uh, um, about uh, uh, Islam law. And when it comes to the state of Israel, and some people in the world look at the Hamas as freedom fighters, the people who want to release the state of uh, Palestine or part of it. So the answer is totally not. It's not about liberation and it's not about freedom. It's about eliminating Israel on the way to become an Islamic uh, uh, regime. And how do we see it? We see it that and, and this is what we call the concept and which Israel was dealing with the Hamas. I mean, we knew that the Hamas is there. They are not friends of us. But Israel were thinking uh, that the minute we will give the Hamas the option to make a living, meaning to have regular life, we will kind of can live next to each other, not in peace, but kind of live to, next to each other. So Israel allowed Qatar, for instance, to give them lots, suitcases of lots of money every month so it can give money to the people. Israel allowed to the people, living, to the people in Gaza to go out and work in Israel in order to make a living it's so they can come home and raise their children and, um, and uh, running a regular life. Now, it's, not, it's a very logical conception because think about even in United States. After the Second World War, we have the Marshall Program. You remember the Marshall Program? The Marshall Program basically said, although we were fighting Germany just a few months ago, we will give them money in order to recover the government, because if they will have miserable life, communism will take place. So under the same logic, Israel allowed the Hamas to have the money and allowed the people to work in Israel, hoping, again, we won't become lovers, but uh, hoping that we can kind of normal life. The problem was that this logic can work maybe in Europe, but the Middle East has different laws. And the DNA of this Hamas is totally not something that we can understand. So what did they do with all the money they got? So instead of investing, and I always proud to say that the biggest um, budget in Israel after security is education, because this is what we do. We put money in educating the people. What did they do with the money? All the money went to, let's call it, military causes. And military causes would be ammunition, rockets, and tunnels. Now think about it. They, they digged something like 300 miles of tunnels in the Gaza Strip. Now, when someone talks about a tunnel, I, I always say that I, I guide twice a year American officers in Israel, and we go to visit this tunnel because it's not open to the public, to the regular public. And some people think about a tunnel as something very narrow that you can crawl inside, and like in the movie when people are trying to run, uh, escape from jail. But it's totally different. It's a very wide tunnel that you can go with a scooter. It has concrete. It has, you go, it has uh, uh, oxygen. It has ammunition. 
It has everything you need to spend there uh, a long time and even to go out to attacks. Today, uh, I mean, a week, a week and a half ago, the Israel managed to discover a, the main tunnel, which is seven meters wide, meaning you can, uh, they found a car inside the tunnel. So it shows you what kind of effort they did in order to attack Israel. And kind of also to give you the idea of the number, so you can see here on the slide, what can you do with the money that you uh, um, invest in the tunnel? So you can see how many schools, how many mosques, or how many hospitals you could, you could build, but they did exactly the opposite. They, what they did is to invest everything in order to attack Israel one day. And they were preparing this attack for several years. And let's go to the next slide. And it did, uh, it did uh, uh, succeed for them. When we talk about, and soon we're going to talk about the attack, but when we talk about the, the Hamas money, and again, it's billion, billion of dollars that the Palestinians would get in Gaza every year, and already for several years. So where did the money go? So I showed you where did the money go when it comes all to the tunnels and uh, getting all the ammunition through I Iran that they can uh, use against Israel. And of course, to the private leaders. Uh, this is information that we got actually from the United States. And it shows you the leaders of Hamas. By the way, they don't live in Gaza. They live in luxury hotel in Dubai, mainly in Qatar. And you can see uh, Ismail Ania, four billion. Now, he's a civil servant. He should be the leaders of the poor people in Gaza. So that'll be Ismail Ania with four, with four billion, Khaled Mashal, four billion, and uh, Musa Abu Marzouk with three billions, and Ikhi Sinwar and Muhammad Def was uh, the leader in, in, uh, in Gaza. They're also very wealthy people. And one of the uh, um, things that uh, I also understood for the BBC people, which, you know, the BBC people are not a big fans of the state of Israel, but when we, on a small talk in the car or around lunch, so when we talk about the, the leadership of the Hamas, they would tell me, these people don't care about the Palestinian people. They don't give a, I won't say, it, they don't give a care about the Palestinian people. All their care is about releasing the prisoners in Israel. All their care, it would be about killing Israelis, makes no different, uh, women, kids, grown-ups, soldiers and doing their private money for their uh, personal use. And this is what leads the Hamas leader, meaning if they would really care about the people, they would invest in school, they would invest in education, they would give them better life. The Palestinian Gaza got billions of dollars just to go out of the refugee camps. You know, refugee camps, it's like living in tents or living in huts for, for years but they don't want them to go out of, the out of the refugee camps because this is how you can unite them to struggle because if someone has good life, and look about the Arab people who live in Israel, in Jaffa, in Nazareth, in places that we've been. They have good life, they have no limits, they make a living and we can live with them uh, with no problem. But the minute someone lives in a poor life in a refugee camp, he has nothing to lose, so he'll do anything also to fight and that's their strategy to have them as miserable as possible, to take all their money, and to be ready for an attack in Israel. So let's go to the next slide. This is exactly what happened in October 7. It must be said, and also for me as a military uh, person, we were surprised, 
and we weren't ready enough. And when you think about how many people managed to cross the road, to cross the border, and to get into the army bases and all to the kibbutzim, it's a lot. We never, we never imagined this kind of, of, of massacre, this kind of attack. And we will investigate. I mean, there's no doubt that the armed people in the army will need to give answers. What happened to the army on October 7? It's a very tough question. Also, as I said, we always believe that our army will be there whenever we need it. But he was not there. And we will learn our lesson. We will deeply, deeply investigate what happened. And we will learn. And we will change whatever needs to be changed. But we're going to do it only after the war. Because now, everybody is united in this war. And when I say everybody, you know that before the war, we had all kinds of issues in Israel and demonstration. And, and not anymore. Everybody, and it's including ultra-Orthodox, and the right, and the left, and the religion. And you know, you can just also see the soldiers who are dying. Uh, last night, we had two um, soldiers who died. Uh, the day before, we had two soldiers who died, one of them from Tel Aviv, you know, the liberal city, and one of them from the West, from the West Bank, a small settlement called Itzhar, a very right wing. But they were fighting shoulder to shoulder, because there's no more important of this war. So they managed to cross the border. They managed to go into the kibbutzim. It was a holiday. And they started their killing. Now, talking to the people who fighting against the Hamas on that day, and talking to the people who were dealing, for instance, with the bodies. There is an organization in Israel called Zaka which they are, it's ultra-Orthodox mainly, and they, uh, they deal with all the bodies and the many parts of the bodies who were found in, in, um, in all the kibbutzim there, and their testimony is it's heartbreaking. I mean, first of all, uh, they'll tell you about bodies who were burned. They will tell you about a mother and a baby who was uh, gathered with uh, some wire, and they were burned to death, and you can't find any bullet in their body. That means that they were buried, they were burned alive. And you will, you will hear a, a testimony about rape, about a 14-year-old old girl who were found with uh, uh, almost totally naked, uh, with all kinds of evidence uh, of rape, and she was shot in her head. And, and really lots of, lots of evidence that you can't understand how cruel people can be. I mean, there is a, a, a video that the Israeli uh, army prepared. It's a 47-minute uh, video, a very hard one. Before you go there, they take your cell phone. It's a special screening for reporters. They brought it to Hollywood, to the uh, decision-making or the producer in Hollywood, people who, 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 who influence other people. And you give your phones, they give you some water and some tissues, and it's the most horrible pictures or the most horrible things that a human being can do. You can see how they beheading uh, um, bodies and, and really very tough, very tough uh, uh, pictures, but it needs to be shown because some of the people will say, no, it did not happen. Some of the people will say, no, it can't be. 
And it's very important to Israel because uh, there is a big battle in the media, same as is on the, on the, on the field. And when it comes to the um, causes of this war, so Israel decided about the cause of the war. And after the first two days, Israel was just a busy uh, kind of uh, killing all the terrorists who came into the kibbutzim and into the army camps. And we had this music festival in a kibbutz called Reim. They called it the Nova Festival. There were thousands of uh, young people, around 3,000. And that was the main, uh, uh, the most people who were killed, over 350 kids. They just came to dance in some music festival. And I mean, nobody comes with weapon to such a, there was a bit of security, but they came, uh, um, hundreds of terrorists, and they started shooting all the people, and they burned them in the car. And really, uh, terrible stories. And at the same time, Israel understands that this is something serious. All the reserves are being recruited, everybody. And I took the BBC to one of the reserve um, camps, and you can see there a parking lot with thousands, thousands of cars parking all kinds of on the mountains, on the, on the road, because this is what happened. People, even before they've been called by the unit, they left their families straight away, going to their camps to get their gear and to run uh, to fight. And this is uh, uh, what happened on uh, October 7. Again, terrible things. But from this point, we have a purpose. And the purpose is that we cannot afford to have the Hamas as our neighbors. Because these people are just about killing us. By the way, 44 of the 1,200 people who were killed and it's the largest number of Jewish people killed at the same date since the Holocaust, in the Second World War. 44 people who were killed, by the way, were non-Jewish, were Arabs, were Bedouins. They killed a Muslim woman, a Bedouin Muslim woman, who was dressed as Muslim. You couldn't, couldn't miss. And they, they, they killed her. They killed an Israeli Arab who said, I'm Arab, I'm from East Jerusalem, I'm uh, kind of, uh, uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm Arab. They killed him also, meaning these people are only about eliminate whatever behind uh, the border. And um, Israel started fighting back. And to fight in Gaza, it's very complicated. How complicated? That you, were, that you uh, fight in a very urban, a very, uh, uh, with lots of windows. They're shooting you from everywhere. And they go out of the tunnels, and then they run back, meaning that it takes time. It takes time to go from a house to house. It's time to go, it takes time to go from a city to city. And uh, w this is what my sons say, just give us enough time to finish the job. Because you know, there's all kind of international uh, pressure for Israel to stop. And I'm sure you hear about, I'm sure you hear about the um, people who call for a ceasefire. But the minute there'll be a ceasefire, that means Hamas is still in power. And if Hamas is still in power, they will come again and again. And I want to give you an example of what does it means when they come in again. Let's say you have a neighbor who lives just across to your home. He came to your home. He killed your wife. He raped your wife. He killed your wife. He killed your son. He took one of your other son as a hostages. 
And he told you, I'll be back for your other two sons. And he runs back to his home. Now you come home, you come and you go to eliminate him because he's a threat, right? And when you come to his uh, house, he's surrounded with civilians. And he tells you, you can't shoot me because I'm surrounded with civilians. And this is the big dilemma. I mean, you will hear in the news all the time, Israel is killing civilians in Gaza. So the answer for this uh, uh, cause is, first of all, and I learned it for uh, one of our prime minister who was uh, interviewing in the CNN. He told the, the, the woman who was interviewing her, you are starting the story from the middle. Meaning, you need to understand why there might be some civilians who are dying in Gaza. Because when Israel started crossing the border towards Gaza and to fight the Hamas, uh, uh, the Hamas uh, people, we told all the civilians, you need to move to a safe place in Gaza Trip. And we told them exactly. There were uh, letters from the, uh, from the air that we told them exactly where to move. Furthermore, we told all the civilians, we have a secure corridor for you to move to the other side. So the fact that there are civilians where we are fighting, it's two reasons. Either they want to be there, or they are trapped by Hamas, who don't let them go because they want them as women shields, as human shields. Because this is exactly what they want. They want the civilians to be hurt, and then they show the picture of a, a boy or a young adult who is being uh, uh, killed through, through the Israeli uh, bombs. And this is exactly what they show in the media. Meaning, if you see civilians who are being killed, it's only after Israel warned, and only because the Hamas let them, uh, uh, forced them to be there. So if someone asks why are uh, civilians being killed in Gaza, this is a question that you need to ask the Hamas, not Israel. Because Israel, remember, Israel is about fighting back in order to eliminate in order to eliminate the um, threat that we have. And part of the media, I want to go to the next slide. Part of the media, uh, one more. No, so backwards. Can we see the short movie, the short video? I'd like to report a crime. Yes. I was raped. So sorry. Um we're here to help. Tell us what happened. I was at a music festival. We heard gunfire and everyone was running. I started running and then he grabbed me. He yelled something in Arabic and then he just like my- Sorry to interrupt you. You said he was yelling in Arabic. Yes. So he, he ripped my pants and then he just- I'm just sorry, I, I just need a bit of background here. Are you Israeli? Yes. And your rapist was Palestinian? He was a Hamas terrorist. Okay, just, um, this is a bit awkward, but we can't help you. But I was a rape. Do you have any proof? Yes, he filmed it. Yes, hello, global police. Don't take it personally. Yeah. Management decided that all violence against Israelis is yeah. legitimate resistance. So sorry. My daughter has been kidnapped. Please help. Sure, just before we get started, are either of you Israeli? On October 7th, Hamas terrorists brutally raped Israeli women and children before murdering them. There is no justification for rape and sexual violence. Rape is not resistance. 
why it was important for me to show it. First of all, uh, when it comes to a, a, a rape, uh, and I'm sorry kind of to talk about, because today everybody says, uh, show us the movie. I mean, if there's no movie, we won't believe you. I mean, just think about it. If your daughter, God forbid, comes in and, and complains about rape, you ask if you don't have a movie, so we won't believe you. I mean, it's kind of things that happen, but uh, I showed it mainly to show you that a lot of things, I mean, every, uh, every uh, state is allowed to uh, defend itself, but when it comes to Israel, there's always a different, a different, a, a, a different reaction. When it comes to Israel, they say, okay, let's go for a ceasefire. Or when it comes to Israel, not, it's not true, but there's other meaning. What you're hearing in the media, it's either, as I say, they start the uh, story from the middle, or it's a lot, uh, it's very often uh, even the, uh, wrong uh, information. I mean, I'm sure you heard once when Israel was accused about bombing a hospital in Gaza, and they said Israel bombed the hospital, and there are 500 people who were killed. Which eventually, it was a Hamas who fired a wrong uh, a rocket, and Israel proved it. It landed in the parking lot of the um, um, hospital, and there were 11 or 17 people killed. Meaning, when it comes to what you hear, you need to be careful. So what you do need to follow, you need to follow, uh, first of all, um, Fox News, I would say, that'll be a good resource. Uh, you can follow Israeli, uh, you can follow Israeli media like uh, Israel 24, uh, Jerusalem Post, because it'll give you really a more accurate information. And again, you know, everybody has his own opinion. So long it can hear, the correct information and then to, to decide. And just to conclude, I would say that um, Israel is going through a very tough time and everything uh, uh, stopped. I mean, my daughter is in university, but there's no university because all the, all the uh, students are in the army. So uh, we're going through a very tough time. And, but we need to understand whatever will happen in Israel will influence other places and other continents. Meaning, we are fighting not only our war, it's not only Israel against Hamas, it's the light against the dark, and it's the evil against, it's, it's kind of, we're fighting, we're fighting the, the, the war of the West against uh, uh, the modern, the modern uh, countries around, uh, against the evil. So, and all our neighbors are kind of looking to see what happened because if we won't react strong and hard, then other people who don't like us will come the next day. So, uh, I always say, uh, pray for the state of Israel, pray for our soldiers, and because we are fighting everybody's uh, war, also the people here. And we said together, amen, amen. Thank you, Yoram. So what we had passed out to you, what I, it, or we're having passed out, is uh, not an exhaustive list, but I think a comprehensive list of the promises made to Israel from the word of God. This... And if you keep in mind and think in mind of it, no other people group, no other place did God ever promise specific land to.
But this, and if you have that slide, that second one or third one that shows uh, the map of Israel, it's spelled out, or fourth one, uh, it's spelled out exactly from Genesis 28, um, the promise of God. And even in some of those passages, the dimensions of the state of Israel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, Genesis 28. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking some of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway running on the earth from its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants... Please read it again, Pastor. Please read it again. I will give you and your descendants, you know who we're talking about here, the land on which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. That land, from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, north actually just past the Lebanese border, and over just past the Syria border, and over past the Jordan River, all belongs to Israel. There is no two-state solution. <laughs> There's one people solution. Promise made long ago by God himself. And be not deceived or distracted. And do not deny. Because <laughs> Revelation 16, 16, 16. At the end of time, the crown jewel of the earth will be Jerusalem. And it says in the Old Testament that I've not named a place until now or a person until now. But I am naming Jerusalem, and I'm naming David. And so it is so important as Christians for us to bless the people of Israel, to stand with the people of Israel, to pray with the people of Israel, and pray for them. Father, that's what we do right here and now. As Yoram stands in the gap for the state of Israel, and we here at Church of the Heartland, Winnemac, stand on behalf of the Word of God, I just ask that you'll be with them now in a great and mighty way. First of all, with Yoram and those boys of his that are serving in Gaza, protect them. Their fellow soldiers, the entire IDF, their commanders and their leaders, somehow, someway, I just ask for victory in a powerful, godlike way of biblical proportion. Even the Hamas, those evil ones that have been used to the enemy, to surrender and submit, to stay in their lane. And Father, be within each of us as we rely upon the truth that you speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. That was so really good.